This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you first heard that they were considering a bobsled team, what was your initial reaction? That this has to be the most absurd, ridiculous idea ever conceived by man. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guests, the ultimate underdogs, track athletes Devon Harris and Chris Stokes led the original Cool Runnings Jamaican bobsled team to Winter Olympics fame and motion picture history. Presented by GEICO. One of the greatest stories in Winter Olympics history occurred back in 1988 when an upstart team from, of all places, Jamaica competed in bobsledding despite never having seen ice or ridden on any kind of sleds until a few months before racing in Calgary. The immensely popular Disney movie Cool Runnings was loosely based on this implausible journey, but those movie characters were fictional where today's two guests are the real thing. We begin by welcoming one of the founding members of that historic Jamaican bobsled team, Devon Harris. Devon, welcome to Game Time. It's so great to see you. And I got to start with George Fitch. Who was he and what made him come up with the concept of the Jamaican bobsled team? George, uh, an American uh, who lived and worked in Jamaica, um, the story is that he was in a local bar in Kingston uh, with a fellow American, William Maloney. And uh, they, they claimed they were drinking and they... <sighs> I, you know, I, so we're going to take their word for it. Yes. Um, but um, they saw this thing that we have in Jamaica called pushcart derby. A pushcart is a, basically a wooden cart on wheels. And every year they'll paint these things up and they race them down a winding mountain road. So it really does look like bobsledding and you know, two crazy guys going down the side of a mountain, except for the ice, of course. And then uh, George and Will, they discovered that a big part of a bobsled race is a start. You need sprinters. And of course, we have lots of sprinters uh, in Jamaica. And so they thought they'd approach these guys and they were not interested in the least. <laughs> so they came to the army where I, th- I think they could find guys who were either brave enough or stupid enough to try this, this crazy sport. So here we are. So here we are, it's right, and I guess you are one of those crazies, one of those stupid guys who were crazy enough to believe that this actually could happen. When you first heard that they were considering a bobsled team, what was your initial reaction? That this has to be the most absurd, ridiculous idea ever conceived by man. And I remember saying, nobody could ever get me to go on one of those things. And that's what I believed until my colonel suggested that I try to offer the team, you know? Now I had to figure out how the hell I was going to make this team. And so I just went there and gave, you know, everything I had. Yeah, I don't think people realize, though, you're a legit serious athlete. When you were younger, you were a great soccer player. Uh, You then obviously turned your attention to track and field. You were a terrific track star in Jamaica. Uh, So this wasn't something that 
even though it may have thought people thought, you know, collectively worldwide, this was going to be a joke. You were not going to go uh, and do this unless you thought this was going to be serious and you could actually compete. Yeah, absolutely right. We both played football, except I <laughs> used my feet. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one of those uh, things that, quite frankly, even after all these years, you know, current Jamaica bobsled teams have sort of fighting the stereotypes because yeah jamaicans are nice and easy going but people don't recognize that especially the very first team if you're going to take on an endeavor like that man you better be serious right and we were we were serious we have always been you know very serious very hard working very focused uh, bunch of guys how do you even practice for the bobsled on a caribbean island with much difficulty. <laughs> no, I tell you this, because most people don't realize. So th there's the off season as you have, right? And so you spend that time running, lifting weights, pushing a, a makeshift sled, as everybody else do in the world. And then in the winter, you travel to the tracks the same way everybody did. If you think about this boomer, back in 88, when we started, the US had only one track. Canada had only gotten theirs. France didn't have a track. Norway didn't have a track. Japan didn't have a track. So all those countries like us had to travel. We're back with two of the Jamaican bobsled legends who inspired the fictional movie Cool Runnings. Nelson Stokes will join us in a few moments, but right now as we continue with Devon Harris. Devon, now you said after you learned that you had been selected to compete in the 1988 Calgary Olympics, I felt like Superman that day flying around the beach. And I would imagine that was pretty amazing when you found that out. I said that? Yes, you did. And I woke up uh, that Saturday morning and my friends are calling me the Olympian. I'm like, what happened? And apparently that night uh, on the sports news, they announced that Jamaica had a bobsled team. And I was one of the persons named. So I wasn't at that point told officially I was on the team. That on that very day, the, the, all the officers had a, 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 an excursion uh, just outside Ocho Rios. And I remember just being on the beach, dude, feeling like Superman is this. And you can just imagine the, yeah. the juxtaposition. I am on the beach. What was it like when you first saw a bobsled track and run? I just remember sitting, you know, standing there. This was up in Lake Placid, uh, New York. And um, the, the space between the corners and the straightaway is so narrow. And I'm imagining a sled flying down the track, going through it. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell are we ever going to fit in that? So to say it was intimidating is an understatement, terrifying. Where did you guys get the sled from in the first place? When we first started training, the first track we, we went down was in, uh, um, in Calgary. We rented the sled. And by the way, this is for two men only. This is a two-man sled. We were not entered in the foreman. It was during the Olympic Games, and, and, you know, Nelson, Chris will tell you that it was that week of the foreman we recruited him. We taught him everything we knew about pushing a bobsled in three days. He took my spot on the very back of the sled, and I switched to the side so as to make it easier for him to get on. We rented a sled that week. It's, it's like, imagine you going to, the, to compete in the Super Bowl and the first time you're throwing a football is in that game. The other point about all of this, Devon, is the fact that the IOC tried to disqualify you guys after you ran in Austria. And it wasn't until Prince Albert intervened to basically save your quest to go to Calgary. Isn't that true? 
Yeah, the, the, you know, I saw Albert uh, in, um, in Nagano and I said, dude, you're the coolest prince I know. <laughs> um, and, he, and he is, right? I can understand the IOC's point of view only to a limit. I think, generally speaking, uh, there's just way too much bureaucracy in sports, especially Olympic sports. Do we appreciate the East Germans and the Swiss and the Usain Bolts of the world? Of course we do, but there's so much that we can learn and appreciate from the Jamaica bobsled teams of the world as well. I think what you speak of is the Olympic spirit, and it's uh, said so well. In hindsight, Devon Harris has said of the Jamaican bobsled team's participation in the 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics, we didn't have enough experience. We had no business being in a sled. We know that now, but you couldn't have told us that then. Do you remember saying that? Yes, and I, even as uh, someone who has been involved in the current team and watching them want to kind of push the envelope a little bit, I have had to kind of pull them back from the edge. But that's the power of having a dream boomer. I mean, all of us dreamers, we, we start out having no idea what it is that we're, get, we're in for, we're getting ourselves into. But, uh, you know, the, when the dream is so strong, it just pulls you, man, and it, it gets you to really get out of your comfort zone and, and go all the way out there on the edge. And it's sometimes when you come back to a moment of sanity, you go, what, the, what was I thinking? Right? But that's what makes the journey fun. So after you had run the two-man bobsled, what made you believe that out of the blue, you could now compete in the four-man bobsled? What led to that decision? <laughs> you know, so as a, as a motivational speaker, I sometimes uh, uh, refer to this as uh, the Jamaican-ness came out of us. And, and what I mean by that, and, and I was sharing with your producers earlier, you know, my grandmother and the influence she had on me telling me these amazing stories and, and getting me to believe. So the Jamaican-ness that came out of us that day, this temerity that we can go do this thing. And so, yeah, that week we go, Chris, you're a sprinter, right? Good. So we decided we're going to enter the foreman so we can all win a medal. We didn't want to go home empty-handed. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, if you put this in a movie, people go, come on, man, that's corny. That's the truth. We go, hey, let's enter the foreman so we can all win a medal. We go, yeah, yeah. Chris, you're a sprinter, right? Come on. Let's teach you how to push this thing. And, you know, look, we, we crashed, obviously. But, you know, I'm so proud that the, on that run, we ended up pushing the seventh fastest start time of the Olympic Games. This is the first week of four-man bobsledding for us. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a great story, and I, and I know Nelson's going to get into it right after this particular segment. Devin, your your story is great. You're you're so full of life and so full of spirit. I understand why you are a motivational speaker. Keep it up, my man. It's great to meet you, and thank you so much for coming on to Game Time. Hey, thanks for having me on Game Time. I much appreciate. Now we'll be back right after this. After the two-man bobsled competition ended, the Jamaican team didn't want to end its Olympic experience right then and there. So the athletes decided to compete in the four-man bobsled. There are only two problems. Number one, they didn't have a four-man bobsled. And number two, they only had three available participants. And that's where Nelson Stokes comes in. So Nelson, welcome to game time. And I can't even imagine what that phone call must have been like for you when you're out there at Washington State trying to get your MBA. You get a call from your brother and says, hey, we need you to come to Calgary to be a part of a four-man bobsled. What was that like? So my brother calls me. He knows I'm training for Seoul, right? I, I just finished my, my collegiate 
um, sprinting career. I'm working on my MBA. So he says, uh, Chris, uh, why don't you come watch the race? Mm, uh, well, I have a race this Friday. No, you know, it's your bro- I'm your brother. I'm competing. Competing in the Olympic Games is a big deal. Come watch the race. I go watch the race. Fine. Then he says, um, after the race, he says, uh, I said, I'm going back now. He said, no, why don't you uh, come to training? And I said, just come and watch training. So I said, okay, fine. And I put on my winter stuff and I go down to the push track. And then he says, uh, why don't you try and push the sled? So I said, oh, yeah, it looks like fun. <laughs> so I get on the back of the sled and I push down. And then, then the coaches have this meeting. And then the my brother comes back to me and said, brother, you got to be on the team, man. And I'm like, yeah, I'd really like that. And as you know, I'm going to take a couple of months off after Seoul and I'll be, I'll be with you in October when the next season starts. He says, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. You need to push the sled now. <laughs> I said, well, the, 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 the Olympic, the, the race is in four or five days. You got, so I, I saw bobsleigh and I sat in a real bobsleigh for the first time on Monday. And Saturday morning, I was in an Olympic race. What was it like for you being the final guy pushing and then having to go down the bobsled course for the first time ever in your life? What was that like? Were you just like holding on with your head down? I struggled to put that into words to explain it for, for, for many years. And a couple of years ago, I heard a phrase that explained what I did. And that is find a happy place. And that is what I had to do in my mind. If I said to myself, there are billions of people watching, you, you know, your nerves are frazzled, you know, your Jamaicanness comes up, which is, I got this, I can do this. Now, as you get ready to start that third run, which is this fateful crash that ultimately happens to you guys, what were the discussion points prior to taking off? And what was it like going through the crash itself? Walking up the track, you know, the, the, the pilots walk the track before the race. Walking up the track, uh, my brother slips, falls, breaks his collarbone. That's the pilot. All right? Soldier sprays a little of that cold stuff on it, and he doesn't say anything to anybody. But he's there with, before the crash, his, co- his collarbone was fractured. Before the crash. Uh-huh. Okay. Then we get to the, 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 the top of the, the, the start line, and we're looking around, and it says, said to each other, where is Coach Siler? And somebody said to us, well, no, this is our first games. Coach Siler had to leave to go back to, to work. So we are there, pilot with his shoulder broke, two really rough runs before, in front of the world, no coach, and it was a, a lonely place to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that is part of what makes this team in particular so special. Something came, came out in us that said, you know what? We don't care. So I feel this big bang, and I said, well, this is not normal. And why is the ice on my nose? You know, not usual. I'm a, <laughs> I feel my shoulder on, this, on the ice. And then, you know, we come to this stop, and I said, this, this doesn't, nobody asked me to pull the brakes. Okay, so this is not normal. Something happened here, right? And then they, the sled started to run back, and I saw in the ice this red mark. So the first thing I said, okay, somebody is really badly hurt. And the first thing I said was, you know, Tal, are you okay? That's my brother, Dudley. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm okay. So that was the first time I'd spoken in a week, right? It turns out that the red was the red from my helmet because the, 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 the gold had been rubbed off of my helmet. It got down to the red of the original color that was now frozen into the ice. And, um, and we got out beat up. And I remember walking back, you know, it was only about 100 meters to, the, to where we could come out. And it was the loneliest 100 meters that 
the longest, it felt like 10 miles. And we were walking with my head down and you know, we're crunching through the ice, so embarrassed and ashamed. And Boomer, we heard people starting to clap and cheer. Yeah, I'll hold that. Of his unexpected instant initiation into the Olympic bobsledding world, Nelson Chris Stokes says he learned that it's important to humble yourself and learn new things and also never to undersell yourself. He also admits that if we hadn't crashed, there wouldn't have been a movie. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the movie myself because I don't think it really truly represents who you guys are and what you went through. And you, we just talked about the crash. We just talked about how you felt embarrassed that you guys crashed. But then you got out and you had this 100-meter walk. What were the Olympic fans like around you guys, and how did they make you feel? We ourselves didn't understand what Jamaica meant to the Olympic fan. We went there to win. I mean, it may sound crazy, but we went there... We went there, we were Jamaicans, we were going to the Olympics, we we're going to win a medal. And I don't care what you said, you're not ready. The IOC trying to keep you out. Um, other coaches trying to say you don't belong here. People looking at you and telling you don't belong here. We didn't care, we went there to win. That was in our head. What I realized in that 100 meters that seemed like 10 miles was that what people saw in us was the bravado, the daring, to try to, to, it's a frontier attitude to go and plant a flag, to lay a claim that, look, I know I am from Jamaica. I know the type of country it is, it's warm, it's, or it's not Switzerland, but we belong here. Whether we won or not, it wasn't important to the fan base. We were there, we were proud, we carried ourselves well, and we gave it a hell of a shot. And that's what people wanted to see, really. It was refreshing. You guys were a source of pride for your country. I mean, your country embraced the fact and the effort that you put forth to the point where you and your brother went to three other Olympics. And the bobsledding is a serious federation now for Jamaica because of the way it started. It's a serious federation. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we, we, you know, you mentioned that we, without the, and life is funny, you know, at, at your lowest moments, you have to be careful how you want to quit because you don't know what it says. The crash sets up the movie. If we hadn't crashed, we'd have said enough. We crashed and we were determined to do better. We came back in 92 and did so. So we came back in 94 and finished 14th in the world, including beating Italy and the US and a, a slew of other bobsleigh powers. Came back in 2002 and set the start record at the Olympics. 2018, uh, we had our first women's bobsleigh team. So we are going from strength to strength. I mean, it's not easy, Boomer. It's not easy, but the message is important and we are determined. And we look, we have an excellent crew now looking forward to the, the 2022 games in Beijing. Who knows what's going on in the world, what's going to happen right. in the world these days. Well, I have to tell you, Nelson, your guy's story is amazing. I'm glad that it lives on. Unfortunately, the movie didn't really truly, I think, capture who you guys were, the Olympic spirit behind you, your personalities, the way that you embrace the challenge is something that I think all athletes can to totally appreciate and respect. So I just want to say thanks for joining us today here on Game Time to you and Devon. And for everybody out there watching, I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Olympic gold medalist Christy Yamaguchi. The fact that the movie told a story that was itself motivated, I think had a lot of value.
when I think of the movie, I love it uh, because I, I think it's a great human interest story. Those are the kind of stories I, I, I really gravitate to. I'm, I'm willing to give up not acting in the movie for that message. <laughs> but not, not, not part two, though. Not part no, two. No, no, no. We'll, we'll make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, Boomer, listen, I need, I need an autographed footballer.